Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. So we're continuing. We're in our second day of a series in the Gospel of John. Uh, In case you weren't here last week, the Gospel of John is written by one of the 12 apostles, a man named John, who uh, later in life, after witnessing all that Jesus had done, after participating in ministry and walking as a disciple of Jesus, um, he, he played an integral role in the beginning of the first century church, and later in life, decides to record for us a detailed account of his experience with Jesus. Uh, One of the big questions John asks throughout his gospel is, uh, who is Jesus, the identity of Jesus? And that's precisely where we'll be today in the first book of his gospel. He chooses to move towards questions of identity. A couple weeks ago at our three-year anniversary, we celebrated the idea that God is making all things new. And this morning we sang about it. Uh, He makes beautiful things Uh, beautiful things out of dust. He makes beautiful things out of us. We're going to talk today a little bit more deeply about this idea of the, uh, this idea that God has made us new. Now, as a kid, one of our favorite games was to play dress up, right? We'll dress up as cowboys and we'll dress up as princesses. My girls love playing dress up in games like that. But this last week, we had this really interesting holiday uh, here in the States called Halloween. You might have noticed some strange things that night. It's, uh, it's one day of the year that we celebrate everyone playing dress up, right? Adults and kids and everyone gets to dress up. And uh, Halloween is a ton of fun. But it's this interesting time where we all wear costumes or masks. And masks and costumes, they have two primary uh, purposes that they play, or two primary things happen when we dress up in costumes. One, they conceal something about ourselves. Last night, my family, my girls and I watched the movie Wonder for the second time. And if you haven't seen the movie Wonder, it is, it is powerful. It, you know, it'll make you cry. It did me. Um, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful story. But Augie, the main character who has... Um, his fa- he was born with uh, his face disfigured. He says, Halloween is my favorite holiday of the year because he, he, he wears a space helmet to cover himself up, but on Halloween, he's just like everyone else because everyone is in costume. It's this beautiful story about a, a child and, and his going to public school for the first time, but Augie had reason to want to conceal something, hence the mask. Hence the costume that he loves to wear. But not only does a mask or a costume conceal something about us, it also projects something about us that's likely not the reality. Uh, For instance, this little guy on Halloween is not actually Superman. I I mean, believe me or not, but he is not actually Superman. Uh, You see, a, a costume or a mask that we wear also has the intent of projecting something to other people. So it conceals and it projects. And here's the fascinating thing about the idea of costumes. Sometimes we don't grow out of them. Sometimes we live life wearing different masks. 
right? We have our work face and we get there and we play our role and our identity revolves around my, 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 my place in this job and what I do. We have our game face when we're playing games, some of us far too competitively, right? And we put on our game face and then we have our family life where we interact with our kids and our children and then we have maybe a couple hours of church life where we come and act like everything's perfect and, you know, all is well and uh, we celebrate God for those couple hours and somehow these all become segmented in our lives, almost like different identities, right? But let me say, that's not possible. Identity goes far deeper than the masks or the things that we put on to either conceal or to project different things to people around us. It cannot be that we have this many different identities or personalities. So let's go deeper on this idea of identity. Webster's Dictionary uh, defines identity as the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. And, and, and if you heard that, it said the distinguishing character, uh, singular, right? The, the one thing that is unique and central to who this person is. So, who are you is the question we'll be asking today. We'll actually be asking two questions. Who is Jesus and who are we? Who am I? Those are the questions that John will present for us in the first chapter of John. Who are you? John chapter 1 verse 19 says this. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but freely, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So Israel is desperate for a Messiah. In simple terms, Messiah means a savior. Israel is living in an age when once they had thrived in this promised land, Canaan, and they'd had kings and a strong nation, but not any longer. Uh, Babylon had conquered Israel and now Rome rules. So Israel is what's called a vassal nation. They have some sort of governance over their own people, but ultimately they have no king because their only king is in Rome, right? So, so they are no longer a free nation. They are desperate in the season under harsh abuse, mistreatment after the loss of wars and people being exiled and taken off as slaves to other nations. Israel is desperate for a Messiah, desperate for a savior. And this man, John the Baptist, uh, is out in the desert and he's baptizing people and he's gaining a following and people are starting to ask, who is this guy and what's happening? So from, from Jerusalem, the hub of Israel, uh, some, some religious leaders are sent out to ask him, so, so who are you? Are you our savior? Right? Now, this is a really strange question. If you know much about John the Baptist, uh, he's wearing camel hair, and he's eating locusts, and he's a really eclectic guy. Is that a nice way of saying it? I don't know. Really unique guy. Uh, but they come out saying, uh, are you the Messiah? Yeah, pick that grasshopper leg out of your teeth and answer my question for me, right? Are you our Savior? And, uh, and John says, I am not the Messiah. So first realization, uh, John, and we'll talk about our own following of John's example, uh, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Savior. So John says, I am not the Messiah. In 21, it continues. Uh, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. 
Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? It's fascinating. What do you say about who you are? 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. So John says, I am not the Messiah. I am not your Savior. And they press him, well, are are you all these other things? Finally, they, they just ask, so who are you? And he says, my role is one of a voice pointing to the Lord who is coming. He says, my purpose in this world is to call out to Israel saying, make straight the path, the access to the Lord, to the Savior who is coming amongst us. Verse 24, he continues, now the Pharisees who had been sent, who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah or Elijah nor the prophet? John replies, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So they, they, they question his identity. Well, if you're not the Messiah or a prophet, then why in the world are you baptizing, right? And he says, well, well, I baptize with water, a beautiful practice that we continue in today, but says in Jesus comes a whole other idea of baptism, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people. He says, I'm not even worthy to, to get down and untie his sandals like a servant would in a household. He, he says, not only am I not the Messiah, I'm so unworthy, but my baptism points to what Jesus is doing and to what is coming. 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here we begin to get into the question of who is Jesus? And he begins to identify who Jesus is to the Israelite nation and to the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. He said in there a fascinating phrase, the man who comes after me surpassed me because he was before me. And last week, if you were with us, as Sarah spoke on the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God. And she linked it to this creation account where the word of God brings things into existence, creates things. So, so John here is saying, uh, he's, he's surpassed me because he is before me, because through him all things were created. And at Jesus' baptism, Jesus has come to John to be baptized. You can read more detailed account of that in the other gospels. At his baptism in verse 32, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven like a dove, uh, as a dove, and remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man to whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So this is what John the Baptist says of Jesus. 
He says, uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And this to the Israelites uh, references Old Testament prophecies and passages about a sacrifice that would be made for all mankind. Uh, he, he says, Jesus is God's chosen one. Now, Jesus, throughout his ministry, is going to regularly ask questions of identity. He's going to regular, regularly ask, who am I and who are you? And, and a, a great case study in that is his interactions with a man named Peter, one of his closest followers, traveled with John uh, and the other 11 apostles. Peter, very central. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks his, his apostles this question, who do people say I am? He asked about identity. Now, today, we're wearing name tags, right? We try to do this maybe once a month. Uh, it, it makes it easier to approach people and know new names. And if you're newer, it's a, it's a really helpful thing for us. A name is significant. This last week, I spoke to high school students over at Richland High, and uh, I spoke with them on this subject. And we did this little thing where I said, okay, uh, jump in with me. Hi, my name's Micah, and you are? Dead silence. How would you answer that question? We're going to try it one more time. Hi, my name's Micah, and you are? Right. Okay. So we know names, right? We wear name tags because names are significant. They're important, right? They, they, they tell us something, yet names don't go to identity. Identity is a much deeper question. See, if I started to tell you... Um, I'm a husband to a wonderful woman named Sarah. I'm a father of two beautiful daughters. I'm a follower of Jesus. Now we're starting to talk to talk about things that are central, things of, 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 of substance about our lives. So we have names, but it goes deeper to identity. And when Jesus says, who do people say that I am in Mark chapter 8? He's not asking about a name. And Peter is the one to speak up, and he says, you are Messiah, the Son of God, our Savior, our hope. The confession of Peter is remarkable, and this is a pivotal moment in that Gospel of Mark as, as Jesus begins to be identified as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the hope of Israel. But inversely, Jesus was always asking people about their identity or speaking into the idea of this is who you are in me. So in this other instance, um, uh, Jesus, after the resurrection, is talking again with Peter, and he says, Peter, you are the rock upon which I will build my church. Peter, having experienced the crucifixion, having run away, fled as Jesus is, is being tortured and crucified, feeling broken, uh, you know, sees his risen Savior, the Messiah that he'd been speaking about, whom he knew to be the Son of God, and he sees him risen. And Jesus speaks words of identity into Peter's life, saying, you are the rock, and upon you I will build this church. And I'm curious as we move towards asking more of this question of ourselves, who am I? What has Jesus been speaking into your life? What has the Spirit been speaking into your life and your heart on the subject of identity? Who am I? Now, John makes this pretty obvious conclusion. Uh, in, in the text that we read today in John 1, he says, I'm not the Messiah and Jesus is. To, to many of us that are followers of Jesus, that seems a pretty obvious and simple conclusion. And yet, how often do we find ourselves uh, planning to be the solution and the savior 
in the situations we face or the people's lives who we encounter, right? How, how often do we seek to elevate ourselves? Unlike John who says, man, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, how often do we seek to elevate ourselves, make a bigger name of ourselves to become more prominent? How often do we seek identity in our fame in our, or in our possessions or in climbing the corporate ladder or all these things? We try to define identity in all of these different places, but every one of them misplaced because they don't speak to the truth true nature, the depth that is the identity of a person. A couple weeks ago when we were talking about God making all things new, we, uh, we asked some people in the church to just send us little video clips with this prompt, uh, God is making me new by, and they can fill in the blank. How is God making you new? And Jeremy Pellisier sent one uh, that, it, that was spot on with where we're going to be today. He says the exact words as weeks before we would get to this text and have this conversation. God is making me new by helping me realize that my identity is found in him, not in my job, not in the things I can do. And I think that's a remarkable revelation. See, identity uh, will predict our behaviors, our attitudes, our emotions, our values, so many other things. Identity is so central to us that we live and act and think and process out of identity. It's central to who we are as a people. And Galatians 3.27 says this about our identity. It says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. It says, for those of us that have clothed ourselves in Christ, that old identity has, has been covered by Jesus' clothing, right? That, that we are seen as and known as Jesus. We're not male or female. We're not uh, a politician uh, or any other occupation. We're not an engineer. We're not a pastor. No, we've been clothed in Christ. And in that, we have been unified in the fact that we have been given a new identity in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. I want you to hear these as words of hope. The old is gone and the new has come. God makes beautiful things out of us. It's a song that we sang this morning. God has made a new creation. In John 1.12, Sarah read this last week to us, yet all of you who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. It says this about our identity. Our identity is as a child whom God loves deeply. So as we reflect for a minute on this idea of identity... I realize it's an abstract concept uh, because we do find value and we do work hard at so many other things in life. And because of that, it's very easy to begin to confuse our identity for our success at work, right? For the promotion we got, for the validation we received. It's very easy to perceive our identity in terms of the new house that we bought or the things happening in life, right? So as we, as we reflect on this question of, so really, who am I? We have a choice in the matter, right? Will I be defined by a relationship with Jesus Christ in which I have been made new, or will I continue to identify with the things I always have? 
The question today is, who am I? What am I living into? And if you're anything like me, uh, you've experienced some identity crises in life. And for me, it's those seasons in life where I'm trying to define myself by uh, the friends that I have or the success that I'm gaining that I find myself in the darkest and most dangerous seasons of life. That's my experience. I don't know if you've had one similar, but this is what scripture says of who we are, who you are. And I want you to hear these personally today. It says that you are a child of God, that you are a masterpiece, that you are a new creation. Scripture tells you that you are holy and blameless. It says that you are chosen, made complete, that you are loved. Friends, I hope these sorts of words can begin to speak into our thought processes, the ways that we live, the ways that we engage people around us, because these are the beautiful promises of God that, again, from from personal experience, I know that when I live into these things that God has proclaimed me to be, life goes much better. Right and and remember that text at both creation and early in in John chapter one where it speaks of Jesus as the Word of Light. I want you to hear today Jesus speaking these words into your life. You have been made complete. You have been restored. You have been made a child of God whom He loves deeply. You are a masterpiece. Can you hear those words? I don't know. They might roll off our shoulders. It might be hard to take them in based on some of the failures and challenges we've experienced over the last few weeks, but I want you to hear what God says about his new creation about you. He says that he loves you. He says that he has given you a place in his household, in his kingdom. So what is the implication? John draws two conclusions. One, he's not the Messiah, I'll say that for myself. Maybe you can say the same. Uh, You know, I'm not the savior of people. And two, he says, Jesus is. And I think this realization in life could have profound impacts on the ways that we engage the world around us. A secure sense of our identity in, in God in which we have been made new and cleansed and invited into new life. You know, I wondered on the subject if there's um, sort of some sort of escapist potential in realizing that I'm not the savior. If I know I can't save a person, if I know I can't redeem this situation, does it ever lead us to say, oh, well, I guess it's in God's hands, you know, good luck. And I want to say that is not at all the case in the idea of not being the Savior, but knowing Jesus who is the Savior. In fact, it invites us into a very poignant and beautiful way of life in, in which we are inviting people, pointing people towards the Savior, and, and as we walk alongside them, as we engage in the struggles of this world, not sit back and let it be, but as we walk as ambassadors for Christ, as we walk as those who have been saved and are inviting other people to know the salvation of Jesus, it is actually a call for action. Jesus is the Savior, and I am not. And it calls me to a remarkable way of life.
Let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time, and we thank you for Jesus. So, Father, today, I, we today proclaim that Jesus is the Savior, that he is our hope. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, God, for your son and your love. Thank you, Spirit, for the work that you are doing in our lives. And Father, today, as we acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior, May we uh, make less of ourselves and more of you. Father, will you teach us to engage in this world, not as a savior, as though we can conclude everything and fix every problem, but as your agent, pointing people towards Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Hey friends, thanks for being here. I'll, I'll close with this benediction with these words. Today, may we acknowledge that that we are not the Savior. May we come to recognize Jesus more fully as the Savior. And in coming to know him more fully as the Savior, may we know more of our, our, our own identity, and may we participate in the things that our Savior is doing in this world. Have a blessed week.